Hello and welcome to Get Flush, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. I'm Pete. Last week, I decided to celebrate the bronze medal that Get Flushed won at the New Zealand Podcast Awards by giving away an embroidered Get Flushed cap. All you had to do was leave a message on my pod inbox saying which episode of Get Flushed was your favourite and why. As with all new things, the uptake has been a little slow. I was expecting that because many of us find the thought of hearing our own voice a little daunting. Fortunately, one listener, Anna Lee from British Columbia in Canada, did leave a lovely message earlier this week. Here's what she said. Hello, Pete. This call is from Anna Lee in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. Your spot-on critique of the British Columbia Building Trades Report was most enlightening, but my favourite episode of Get Flushed was Season 4, Episode 2, with Natalie Desenart, founder and CEO of Madam P. Hearing about the production of a new idea is inspirational. Natalie Desenard's attention to detail, consideration, and methodical development of the Madam P female urinal shows a guaranteed example of success. If I was 27 years old instead of 72, I would be seeking a career with Madam P urban urinals. Thanks for the show, Pete, and thank you in advance for the baseball cap. Take care. Thanks for the message, Anna. A freshly minted baseball cap is on its way to you. And if you send me a photo once it arrives, I'll share that on my social media. I'm still in a great mood after winning that award, so the cap offer is still on. Just visit podinbox.com slash getflushed to leave a message. We're getting to the end of the season and I'll be taking a break over Christmas before I come back with a new series in January. Planning is already underway, but I'm keen to hear from anyone who would like to appear on the show next year. It doesn't matter if you're a restroom provider or septic pumper, a manufacturer, a supplier, a scientist, researcher, activist or just an avid restroom user. If you've got something to say about sanitation, I'd love you to be a guest on the show. Recording is usually done remotely. All you need is a phone or a laptop, a pair of headphones and a quiet space. I can edit out any mistakes so there's no need to be word perfect and you're free to share the episode and use it however you like once it's been released. This is a great opportunity to share your story. There's no charge and no catch and Get Flushed has listeners in over 72 different countries. While I'm talking about 2022, I'm also keen to hear from any organisations that would like to sponsor Get Flushed or advertise their brand on the show. Now, I would say this is probably best suited to companies that want to enhance their international or global presence rather than a local pumper, but I'm open to ideas. We can design anything from a one-off insert to a full campaign to make sure that we meet you and your customers' needs. I've added a booking form to the Get Flush site if you'd like to arrange a call. It's easy to remember, getflush.online slash booking, but I'll also add a button on the podcast player and I'll put a link in the notes for today's show. Failing that, you can reach me through social media, just search for Pete Get Flushed or Get Flush Podcast, or email me, pete at getflush.online. That's enough admin for this week, let's meet our guest. Sari Larilla is from Finland. She holds an MSc and a BSc in Environmental Engineering, and for the past 17 years, she's worked as a project manager for the Global Dry Toilet Association of Finland. Sari will tell us more about that in due course, but it's a non-governmental organisation that promotes sustainable sanitation and development to preserve clean water and provide a healthy environment for future generations. 
Sari has worked on projects in Finland, Zambia, Swaziland, Tanzania, Ghana and Kenya, and I caught up with her earlier today to talk about her work. Sari, welcome to Get Flushed. Thank you so much for inviting me. This is very exciting. Well, it's lovely to meet you, and you are definitely our first guest from Finland. Oh, really? We do have a few listeners in Finland, Norway, Sweden. So hello to all the Scandinavian listeners who might be joining us today. But it's really exciting that you've joined us today. I'm really grateful that you've managed to find time on what I think is late Thursday evening there. Yeah, exactly. We've had a bit of a chat in the preamble. How on earth does a lovely lady from Finland end up working for a dry toilet association for the past, I think you've been there for 17 years, did you say? Yeah, it seems like a lifetime, really. I've been always interested about environmental issue, even when I was a child. Then I was introduced to them more by my biology teacher, who really, really pushed me to this career. I ended up applying to the university to uh, read more, especially on the environmental engineering side, which was my field. I ended up having this practical work placement in Africa, in Zambia particularly. And that was the time when I really started to realize the situation about water and sanitation on that side. And it really opened my eyes when I was living in the African village for quite a few months. That must have been a tremendous experience. It was, and I was uh, with my friend from the school, and we really, really shared this experience with her. And we were actually the first students from this university to have this practical training in Africa. And we carried quite a lot of our experiences for the, <laughs> for the next ones. Did you go to join a project or did you initiate a project when you got there? We actually joined like Environmental Conservation Association of Zambia, who had some kind of like project in this rural area of Zambia. The work was to make kind of like a risk assessment for that area about the water and sanitation issues and, and their food security and things like that. With interviews and visit to distant villages, we actually learned quite a lot and practically lived with the people. That sounds amazing. And I'm guessing that they don't have plum sewers and that running water is probably an issue for them as well. Yeah, actually, in some distant villages, they had over 10 kilometers for the water sources. And it really was a hard job for the women and girls to carry the water because they were the ones who were doing that. Yeah, I can imagine. Then I graduated and worked in some other uh, business for a while, but I always kind of like carried this heart for Africa and what I learned and the situation I saw. When I was looking my next job opportunity, I ended up reading the advertisement for this Global Tri-Toilet Association of Finland and I was like, this is the solution for everything, what I've been thinking of. And then I applied and I was chosen for one of their small projects at first. And you've been there ever since? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I got so excited about this tri-toilet issues and how can better sanitation improve people's lives and so on. 
And, you know, at that point, uh, our association didn't have any development project. They only had projects in Finland and nearby areas uh, like Russia and, and Lithuania and Estonia and so on. The association originally promoted dry sanitation or ecological sanitation this side, not in Africa or other developing countries. Basically, what I did was introduce the idea that we should start our own programs in Africa. And uh, the boards really liked the idea. I obviously had to dig out some information who could fund such a project. And then I found a call for a proposal from the Ministry for Foreign Affairs of Finland who were promoting a project for non-governmental organizations to apply. I was contacting the same area I was working in Zambia, that same rural setup, and then they really liked the idea of putting sanitation program there because within these few years I've been off from there, the situation was practically the same. I was suggesting them that we should make this project proposal for the ministry. And then we ended up doing that. And I was even surprised that it went through. I'm not because I can pick up your passion for the sanitation issue. And that's been common in a lot of the people I've spoken with, that people just get this bug and they get interested in sanitation and they become so involved and enthusiastic and passionate. It takes other people with them. I'm not really surprised that you managed to persuade the Finnish government to invest. What a great achievement. And, and you know, we are kind of like the only organization who is actually doing core sanitation work. Of course, there's uh, plenty of organizations who are doing community development or building schools or things like that. And they may have like sanitation in parts of their programs, but not like us who is really doing core sanitation work. I spoke to a, an engineer called Fred in Uganda last year. He was doing projects with sanitation for millions. Yeah. My interpretation was that was part of a wider social development project and sanitation was one of the threads. Whereas yeah. what I think you're telling me is that you purely focus on the sanitation, which is the provision of fresh water for drinking, cooking and washing and sanitary bathroom facilities. Yes, exactly the most important part of your organisation is that it's about dry toilets. And perhaps we should explain to listeners what we mean by dry toilets there, Sari. My most favourite topic. <laughs> so basically, dry toilets are, of course, the name says all, so they are not flushing toilets, so you don't use uh, water for flushing. They are dry they are not like pit latrines where they are toilet waste go into the ground and may may contaminate the groundwaters and surroundings. Dry toilets are closed systems. So basically there are chambers to keep the waste or the manure or fertilizer, as we say, for the use. They can be, for instance, composting toilets or they can be urine diversion toilets. The most important thing is that um, you can actually utilize the end product as a fertilizer later on. 
there's two really important points that I just want to make sure we get across there. The first is that you're not pushing a particular model or brand or design of dry toilet. You're pushing the concept of dry toilets. Yes, exactly. As an NGO, we don't promote any specific models, but deliver the information and teach people how to build dry toilets with the local materials and so on. So as local, everything is uh, the better. And then the second one was about using what we typically class as human waste, the waste products. Yes. Yeah. And that completes the cycle. I've spoken about this a few times on the show, but there's a tremendous asset resource there that traditionally, as you say, either goes into a pit latrine or it goes off to the treatment plant. And we invest huge amounts of time, effort, money and other resources, electricity and water to purify and clear that waste. But your dry toilet takes a completely different approach. So we don't really waste anything and we don't even consider the material as a waste. We consider it as a resource. It is actually very, very good fertilizer, especially in the rural areas where there's lots of small scale farmers who can't really afford to have uh, chemical fertilizers. This is one of the options to get your livelihood. It makes such sense because it's an endless supply as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Each and everybody is actually produce the same amount of nutrients annually that it takes to grow each and everybody's food. There's just a huge balance and a synergy there. It makes such sense to be using the resource that everybody produces to put back into the food chain. I know it can be done safely and hygienically with very minimal risk to anybody further down the line. Of course, there's safety measures and and certain protocols or procedures you need to do. But then afterwards, it's really very safe. And there's been lots of research throughout the world. Even us have been doing quite a lot of research here in Finland and also in our target countries about safety and so on. So You mentioned pit latrines, which could leach into the ground and then contaminate the water supply. So with a dry toilet, we're actually containing and managing the waste or, or managing the... Yeah, yeah, we are. And, you know, the funny part is that people don't really realize that actually half, almost half of the population doesn't have access to safely managed sanitation. You may even have a flushing toilet. It seems fine that you have the toilet in inside your house, but still uh, the toilet waste or the wastewater goes into the water bodies without treatment and so on. Even if you have the flushing toilets at home, it doesn't mean that it's safely managed. No, sometimes it's just an illusion. It looks nice and clean inside the house, but if it's being discharged into the local waterways or um, coastally, then there's a huge knock-on. And certainly even in New Zealand, where we've got a fairly reasonable plumbed sewer infrastructure, we have regular spillages where pipes have broken or there's been a a flood or a washout and beaches and rivers are contaminated. And you wouldn't expect that in a country with a developed system. But I know from from, um, feeds I've seen online, it's happening in the UK, it's happening in Europe, it's happening in America. 
And dry toilets seem to actually be a really useful and constructive tool in regions where that plumbed infrastructure is either not working or it's failing or it doesn't exist at all. Yeah, indeed. Here in Finland, we have quite a lot of rural areas, distance houses and, and so on. So basically, they built like hundreds of kilometers of piping systems and uh, wastewater uh, systems. But they could actually build their on-site sanitation Try toilet systems there. Dylan Timney from Waterless Composting Toilets spoke about this, and it's happening all over the world that the perceived model that everybody seems to be chasing is a plumbed sewer. Yeah. And there are viable alternatives that are much cheaper and efficient and actually reinvest the resources back into the environment rather than contaminate or use other resources to treat them. And we haven't even gone to the issue of phosphorus. I'm sure this was also mentioned. Phosphorus is the nutrient which we are using, uh, growing our food. As fertilizer. Yeah, as fertilizer, yeah. Chemical phosphorus is about to end, or it will end within hundreds of years or something. They have estimated that it finishes before oil us. So there's a huge looming crisis there. Basically, if we don't have phosphorus, we can't grow our food. That'll wake a few people up. Yeah, so we really, really have to find the systems to recycle these nutrients, not, not just waste them. So if that phosphorus supply runs out, we then don't have the phosphorus to be able to put back onto the soil to feed crops, which could jeopardise the entire food chain. That's the scale of this. It's not scaremongering. It's not disaster-themed movie script. This is actual reality, that the phosphorus supplies are running out. Yeah, it is. Now we have 7.5 billion people in the planet. What happens when we have 9 or 10 billion people? We have more mouths to feed. So... Do dry toilets and the recovery of human waste provide an alternative to the phosphorus problem? It is uh, one of the solutions. Of course, we need to find other solutions to recover phosphorus uh, from different sources. But one of the key elements would be trying to recycle these nutrients we have from the human waste. So when you set up a new scheme, you've gone to a different country, it's the first time you've been. Can you talk us through the process that the Dry Toilet Association goes through to, first of all, um, embrace the local community to get the people on board, whether that's a government, regional or a local level? And then how does the project actually unfold to the point where local communities are actually using dry toilets and reinvesting the nutrients back into the soil? Is is there a almost like a schedule or a program that you follow? Yeah, there is. Of course, in the new country, we always have to find our local NGOs or people who work in the ground. Usually it happens so that these NGOs are contacting us by saying that uh, we've seen you doing this and that. We've seen you doing sanitation projects, for instance, in Zambia. Could you come to Uganda or you, could you come to Kenya? We get these uh, emails almost like weekly from different parts of the world. We are a small organization, so of course the demand is more than we can actually answer to. 
but we we are trying to find areas and countries we could work into. Of course, it depends on the funding which is available. For instance, now most of our projects are funded, like I mentioned earlier, the Ministry for Foreign Affairs of Finland. And they have uh, kind of like specific areas where they want to uh, work in. Focus is more like least developed countries. I'm guessing there's a fairly big lead in before you get to a point where you agree that there's a project and the funding's in place and you actually put people on the ground. So at what point do you actually start to travel overseas? And, and the pandemic must have made that incredibly difficult, if not impossible for you. We are actually quite lucky because, like, for instance, in Zambia, where we have worked uh, since 2006, like I mentioned, like uh, where we had this first project, we have um, a quite a reliable people now in the board. Of course, they are doing most of the work. We are just kind of like overseeing from this side. And of course, now the connections are much better. Uh, we can actually have these Zoom meetings or online meetings and plannings and, and things like that. So we don't need to travel there all the time. Actually, myself, I had a one and a half year gap that I didn't travel. But last June and July, I actually went to, uh, I was staying in Zambia for two months. I stayed there quite a long, long time at that point. It's really reassuring that you had enough people on the ground that you're developing those networks that the pandemic doesn't seem to have derailed your program. It's been quite okay. The implementation has still gone quite well. For instance, one of our target groups are schools. And at some point, schools were closed. So we couldn't have any trainings and things like that in the schools at that time. So you actually educate from school level in the use and the importance and all of the philosophy behind dry toilets. Yes. And of course, we can't forget that sanitation issues are closely related to gender issues. So, for instance, in schools, we have quite a lot of our menstrual hygiene management programs. We teach the girls how to sew reusable pads. We have this training program for teachers and so on. So uh, that's one of the things we are doing also with the school, not just talking about hygiene or toilets and sanitation, but also about this menstrual hygiene management, which is a really, really sad situation for many girls that they actually drop from the school when they start to menstruate and so on. So, And it's a huge issue it affects half the world's population. And it, you know, it should be discussed openly and we should be putting programs in place to resolve those challenges. We really should. So I was also talking about this, how do we enter into the countries? So basically, when we define the areas we want to work with and the local partners, we start planning. And of course, every planning stage, we are also including the local people, the beneficiaries. The demand has to come from that side and they are the ones who are leading the process, not us. This has got to be done with the community, not to them, I, I guess, is the the philosophy behind that, that it's really important to be led, Loke. Yeah. And is the response usually pretty positive? 
Yes, it is. There's, a, of course, huge demand for toilets, the sanitation improvement, the knowledge of, for hygiene. And of course, these dry toilets are mostly a new thing for people. So they need quite a lot of sensitization and, and um, explanation how these toilets are working. In the early stage, we usually build pilot toilets as an example. How do they work? It's much easier that way that people actually see how they work and can use them rather than me or some local colleague to tell them how should they work or <laughs> see it and use it. Yeah. How do they manage the waste that's collected in the dry toilets then? Is there a, a container and then do you normally help somebody set up a, either a business or an operation to move that waste? Because it obviously doesn't stay in the dry toilet. It's taken elsewhere for... Usually uh, we are building these toilets uh, with urine diversion and then there's double chambers, which means that each toilet has uh, two or more chambers. And then one chamber is kind of like in use at the time. And then when it's filled up, they move to the second chamber. When the second one is filling up, this other side can uh, have time for the composting process. And then basically when, when the other side is filled up as well, they can open the other side and empty it, and it's are uh, uh, usually like already uh, compost. It's warm, so I'm guessing that the ambient air temperature makes a big difference and speeds up the composting process. It takes like six to twelve months. We usually try to keep it at least a year, so the composting is is really ready. And of course, if it if it seems not to be ready, then it can still after compost it somewhere else if the emptying is needed. And are there strict rules about what can go into the toilet? Yeah. I know it's usually the three P's, which is pee, paper and poo. Is that part of the education program to, to explain to people what can and can't be put down the, the dry toilet? Yes, it is definitely. And the maintenance is one of the key elements that their toilets really work as they should. I've always said that uh, building a toilet is easy, but what comes afterwards is difficult. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Especially if we are talking about public toilets. We all know everywhere in the world the public toilets are messy and, you know. Huge challenge. You have to, for instance, in the school toilet, you, you really have to create the system of cleaning and maintenance and so on. Yeah, so we really teach them what should go in and, and basically nothing else that come through you or paper or bulky material, sawdust or whatever they use at that site. I was going to ask about that because Dylan spoke about in the Bambulu, which is his very elegant bucket toilet. Dylan from Waterless Composting Toilets used um, sawdust and cocoa husks as his bulking material. Is the provision of that part of the program that you have to identify the appropriate bulk material and then you need to maintain a supply to the local community as well, don't you? Yeah, well, uh, we just make sure that they know uh, what to use and then they can basically make sure that it's available. 
especially in the rural areas, there's loads of dry material. You can just go and chop some grass or maize leaves or whatever as long as you do it like during the dry season and make sure that it's dry then it's fine of course in the city then uh, you have to find out if there's a sawmill or something where you can actually get the sawdust people even use soil and especially these urine diversion uh, dry toilets then the bulky material is not that critical as in composting toilet where everything is mixed. Of course, it's more wet than uh, when the urine is separated from the source. And then with the urine diversion, what typically happens to the liquid? A urine is actually very, very good nitrogen fertilizer. You just store it for a while. I mean, uh, family use, it can be two weeks or one month. You just store it in the closed container and then it's ready to be used. Basically, uh, you can use it for, for crops or you can use it in even in a vegetable garden or you can use it in your flowers or whatever you want to, to grow. So it doesn't need to be treated? There's no process that it needs to go through no you just keep it in a closed container uh, naturally urine is free from pathogens but of course there might be some tiny bits of, uh, of fecal matter which can go in or something like that so just to make sure that it's sterile then you just store it for a while in that process, the pH is coming up, so that destroys the pathogen. You just make sure that when you use the urine, you just pour it into the soil, not on the top of the plant, because of course it can uh, burn your plants. You can mix it with the water, or you can use it uh, like that and then pour water on the top. And it's such a free and abundant resource, isn't it? It makes absolute sense to be using urine in that way. And the diversion process is fairly straightforward. There are some good designs and it's fairly easy to make a urine diversion system, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, you can have the seat with urine diversion. In Africa, we mostly like built our squatting toilets. So you can have the squatting pan with the urine diversion and it's very, very easy to make. Where can people find out about your organisation? From our webpage, that's uh, hoosi.net. I'm sure you can uh, share the link. Absolutely. I'll put a link in the show notes and I'll make sure people can find that really easily. Yeah. Is there any, anything else that you'd like to add about the organisation? We really promote this uh, try toilets in our country and worldwide. There's loads of different types of dry toilets. So we are not talking about these outdoor toilets anymore. There's quite a lot of indoor types of dry toilets as well. You can build it, uh, put it in the, in the new buildings and uh, nice houses and so on. I really like to emphasize that dry toilets are not just for poor that's really important. And, and certainly when I spoke to Dylan at Bambulu, his toilet is such an elegant design. It would look fabulous in the most modern bathroom. 
And it is really important that we're not talking here about a system that's designed for very remote rural villages with no infrastructure whatsoever. These can be used literally anywhere. What I like are about Finland that we have a quite long and nice history with bike toilets. People are still using them uh, quite a lot, especially like in the rural areas where we have these summer cottages, uh, where we spend our holidays uh, by the lake and so on. And these are mostly like outside the sewer networks. And the good thing that people are really, really keen to have dry toilets on, on those spaces. But also more and more people are building dry toilets in their new houses. Because it's uh, really saving the water and it's very ecological. And like I said, the nutrients can be recycled and so on. So there's a really many good points. There's a, a huge cost saving as well. If you use portable toilets, you have the ongoing cost of somebody to come with a vacuum truck to empty it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's very expensive, at least this side. Uh, you have to come like regularly, like many times per year. Yeah, whereas with the, the dry toilet or the composting toilet or the urine diversion toilet, you don't need a vacuum truck to come along and clean it and empty it. Of course, you're going to clean and sanitise the inside of the, the bathroom like you would with any bathroom. You know, you absolutely you'd keep it clean and hygienic on the inside. But you don't need the added cost of a regular maintenance for the chamber. You just need to basically make sure that uh, you take care of the grey waters, which is much, much easier than taking care of all the waters, black water and grey water together. We don't want to pollute our groundwaters or our lovely lakes here in Finland. Is grey water part of the association's remit? Do you get involved in grey water projects as well? We are actually answering people's questions quite a lot. At the same time, people are calling us and asking about dry toilets. They are also calling us about how to treat their grey waters. So, of course, we are giving advices uh, for, for that as well. As an association, we have our member companies who are, of course, are selling their products. And uh, within them, there's are quite a many companies who are selling different types of dry toilets, but also they are giving um, solutions for grey water treatment. So they are the ones who are doing the actual business. But as an NGO, we just promote the idea very much about education and empowerment and collaboration and then networking putting the right people in touch with the people who need those services or support yeah i love it really important i think you've got a donation page on the website as well should we mention that oh yeah we've actually just released our new donation program or donation uh, button <laughs> also in our facebook Currently, to um, get the donations for our Zambia project, especially the school program, so we can build some dry toilets in the schools. And like I mentioned, it's combined with the uh, menstrual hygiene management training and also uh, hygiene training and, and so on. You're not necessarily worried about multi-million dollar donations, although they'd be lovely. People can contribute whatever they can afford. Yeah, of course. And, you know, like five euros or five dollars, it really makes difference for us because like each dollar counts, you know. 
And you know, uh, for me, it's kind of like sad, or sometimes I even get angry with competing of of going to the space, or we have built such a many gadgets.、Uh, more people have phones than toilets, and you know, this is something the world should really come together and solve because this is the very, very, very basic problem. We all need to go to the toilet, and why haven't we solved this issue? It's crazy, honestly. I'm with you 100% on that. That rather than making luxury space vehicles for multi-billionaires, we could be solving the world's sanitation problems with that money so easily. We really could. And you know, each dollar donated or、uh, put into the sanitations is actually we are getting back the money because we are really reducing the healthcare cost or having less productivity laws and so on. So. Such a huge、uh, difference if we invest to the sanitation. Absolutely, and it's such a small investment for such massive gains. And I don't understand why we we haven't tackled this. Yeah, it is really, really, really sad situation. But the goodness is that I think now the governments are really, really started to discuss about this issue. At least we have seen it. For instance, our local countries, like in Zambia, for instance, they've really put. The、uh, policies in place, and they're talking about getting sanitation for all by 2030 as their sustainable development goal. So I think we are on the right track, but we are too slow. I've said it time and time again. I'm always astounded by the caliber of people I've met through the podcast who are doing great work to try and improve conditions for the rest of us. So congratulations to you. I've really loved talking to you, Sari. I am.、Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but、um, it's been a great conversation and a fascinating one. And hopefully, I can help spread the word and bring more donations into your program. It's been so lovely, and of course, I could speak about this for <laughs> days and days. We are always saying that we kind of like a sanitation religious community, <laughs> preaching about the importance of sanitation and dry toilets and things like that. So, well, it does sometimes feel a bit like that, but it is such an important issue, and it affects each and every one of us. It's not something that's just my problem or your problem. This affects the entire planet, and it's a hugely important topic. But it's still the same fundamental challenge. It's about improving access to proper sanitation, whether that's water for drinking, cooking, cleaning, whether it's toilets or whether it's for menstrual hygiene. It's all really important. Yeah, it is exactly. It was so nice to speak with you, dear. I really appreciate you taking the time, Sarah. It's lovely to meet you, and hopefully, as the travel bubbles start to open up, I'll be able to get across to some of the conferences and meet you in person. Oh yeah, that would be lovely. I've never been to Australia or New Zealand, so. <laughs> oh, you'd be welcome anytime. <laughs> yeah, it would be lovely. Did you know there's an online conference for sanitation workers happening over the next week? Oh, is it? Because、uh, like I'm, I I have been participating Africa Sanitation Week like now. It's been going on for the for the whole week. But are you talking about different events? Yeah, there's a, a social media conferencing platform called Hoover. W H O O V A. Oh, okay. It's called the Sanitation Workers Forum 2021. 
linking research, policy and practice. But I'll send you the link. The event runs from uh, November the 29th through until December the 3rd, I think. But there's some really good material. I will check it out. And the programme is fantastic. Sanitation Workers Forum 2021. I'd like to thank Sari for joining me on that call. We had a few technical issues with the sound and the connection at the start, but all credit to Sari for working through those with me to make sure that we could record that episode. If you'd like to know more about the Global Dry Toilet Association of Finland, you can visit their website. It's husi.net, that's H-U-U-S-S-I.net. And of course, they would love to receive any donations or contributions that will help them continue their programmes. Again, I'll put a link in the notes for this episode. The global sanitation agenda affects everybody and we all deserve proper access to clean water and hygienic toilets. And as Sari said, dry toilets are not just for remote villages. They work anywhere, even in cities. Reclaiming the nutrients from what we traditionally regard as a waste product has tremendous financial, environmental and ecological benefits that we simply cannot ignore. As I also said at the end of that chat, there is a Sanitation Workers Forum happening this week online. It's a virtual event, it's free to join, and you can drop in for as many or as few sessions as you like. Just search for Sanitation Workers Forum or click on the link in the notes for today's episode. I'll end this week by wishing all of my listeners in the US a very happy Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you all for your support. I'm Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, the world's favourite sanitation podcast. 